and we'll just wait for i never know when the stream starts but uh, we'll start kicking it in around here and we're just going to wait for a couple people to jump in for those of you who are just joining us this is stefan molyneux from free domain and i'm here with dr kevin mccairn phd and he is going to get us up to date on some of the health risks that may be a little bit underplayed with regards to coronavirus, uh, the CCP virus, COVID-19, COVID-2, SARS-19, something, something. And uh, it seems to have uh, uh, more names than the Aztec anthology of Welsh, Welsh gods, but uh, we'll try and keep it fairly straight. So uh, I do appreciate, of course, everybody who's going to drop by and say hello. Uh, and just sort of the background as to why when Dr. McCarran reached out to me, I mean, I was very interested, of course, because of his expertise, 20 years in neuroscience, uh, more, 20 plus years in neuroscience, but also because I really do have the feeling, and I know having a feeling is not an argument, but I really do have the feeling that there's stuff out there in what is known in the world that is not necessarily being wildly communicated to us. If you look at the elites and how they don't generally respond with great alarm, even to very dangerous things, you know, like hundreds of thousands of little British girls getting raped by immigrants, uh, they tend to kind of brush that under the rug. So I always kind of had the feeling, rightly or wrongly, that there was more that was going on in terms of health dangers than what had been communicated to us. And so when Dr. McCarran contacted me and said, uh, you might be right, well, of course, you know, anyone who tells me I'm right has my immediate attention and eternal loyalty. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, uh, I, of course, have had some doctors and experts with a variety of views of the dangers of coronavirus on the show. And I wanted to give you this perspective because uh, I am a big one for, um, well, expertise. I don't do my own teeth. Uh, I don't do my own surgery. And uh, I don't do my own evaluation of coronavirus's effect on the central nervous system. It's not something I'm sort of plotting out in my basement with a, a fork and a blowtorch. So I really do appreciate uh, your time here. I hope you don't mind if we're on a first-name basis, uh, Kevin. It's really a great pleasure to have you. And, of course, it's going to be a little sluggish from the video side because we are contacting each other from, well, opposite sides of the world. But I really do appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Uh, Stefan, thank you very much and uh, giving me this opportunity to speak to your audience. Um, I know this was uh, a few weeks in the making and um, you know, I hope the events just haven't overtaken us with, uh, with respect to, I don't know what you want to call it, COVID or China flu. Um, do you have a preference? Yeah, we'll just call it COVID for here. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, when I first contacted you was, uh, like I said, a few weeks back, and there was something that struck me uh, quite deeply when I began to see footage coming out of China, and that was, uh, wasn't was so much the, uh, the report, it was video footage coming out of uh, people literally just collapsing sort of mid-walk, or um, the thing that really caught my attention was the deliberate contamination that you were seeing with respect to, I'm sure everyone's seen the video clips by now of people spitting and, uh, and wiping down surfaces with their saliva. And um, at, at that point, that really piqued my interest because I, a lot of my research career has been developing 
primate models of Tourette syndrome. And one of the major symptoms of Tourette is uh, spitting or the use of sort of foul language at inappropriate moments. So there's nothing wrong with swearing per se. It's just you just have to get it get it timed right. And the same with, you know, sometimes you need to spit and um, it's a uh, it's a well developed reflex and it's a very deep reflex that sits in the brain but to to get a it's it's harder to initiate than say like the knee jerk reflex or the elbow which most people would be familiar with but in Tourette's there's very specific pathways that we well now we know uh, we didn't 20 years ago that seem to underlie a lot of the uh, oddities that Tourette's is associated with so Okay, so seeing... before we, we dive into that, just if you could give the listeners a little bit about your your background, your history, and your role uh, at the university, the research gate work, and all of that, that would be uh, that would be great. And of course, I'll put the links to all of your work and your your YouTube channel and all of that below. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like I say, as Stefan said, I have twenty plus years uh, research experience, and uh, that's gone from. Uh, postgraduate to having my own lab to uh, so the lab was based in Daegu in South Korea and perhaps many of your listeners will know that uh, Daegu is ground central for the uh, Shinji cult that was uh, sort of tied and being rounded up in uh, in South Korea uh, they had mem- hundreds of thousands of members, but their home city was Daegu, which was, interestingly enough, the home city of the former prime minister as well, who was uh, arrested and is currently in prison right now because of um, uh, ele- irregularities. Let's put it as politely as that. Um, they had a sort of, uh, her irregularities had a major knock-on effect that uh, the facilities which i was promised when i signed contracts with the korean brain research institute fell through and i wasn't able that they couldn't provide a monkey lab for me at the time and uh so with uh the generous uh philanthropy of american uh, american citizens in general and the uh, charitable organization supporting my work i was able to sort of carry on uh, a few more years work and now i'm essentially sort of partially retired because of uh call it karma i don't know um but of a uh, head injury myself so um that's how i've really been sort of if, if i was engaged in my own research right now i'd probably be paying much less attention to the to what was coming out of china right now and it's only because i was watching in real time that i could see it so what was your history, uh, because we all have our stories, of how we first got aware of this uh, virus and China's response and how it got out? What was your history? When did you first hear about it? And uh, what was your first thoughts about it? Uh, so my first thoughts were, so I heard about it in December. And I was watching it because I knew they had primate colony there. So I'd always avoided there's always work for me if i wanted to go to china uh, the rest of the world not so much like the type of research i do at sort of university level is shut down pretty much in the west right now because of uh the uh 
the SJW element, for want of a better descriptor. And so I, that's how I sort of set up in Japan. And I, I watched stuff starting to come out of Wuhan. And I, like I say, I was aware, because you know, if you sort of work in the field, you know who has monkeys and who doesn't, because it's such a sort of niche speciality. And so as soon as I sort of heard something pop up from there, I'd started paying much more attention. And then we find out that there's, they do have not just a BSL-2 or 3 lab, they've got a BSL-4 lab, which is literally right at the, at the end of the extreme spectrum that you can go. Sorry, um, and let's break that out because I've used that phrase a lot. And what is it? It's the only one, to my knowledge, in all of China. And what is it that is required or what is it that is necessary? What are the protocols in place that define something as a BSL level 4 level? Uh, hang on, I've still got uh, something beeping in my background. Uh, I know what it is. Let me just find it. Uh, or maybe I don't. Uh, so BSL is basically breaks down to biosafety labs. So some people often call them... Uh, P labs as well, and I don't know why I can hear Discord right now, but it's really irritating me. Um, but the biosafety lab is uh, a protocol designed to minimize uh, contamination with the researchers and technicians that are in the lab, and also to shield somewhat the outside world who are um, who are have to work around the facility so it's so embedded around the uh, bsl4 facility is the um is the infrastructure that will make it run so there's the bureaucratic side and as well as the bureaucratic side you will uh you will have secretaries and technicians that, that don't even go into that part of the lab that just deal with other sort of um components and you're going to have to give me a second because uh, the, the, the comments uh, here from our helpful listeners are there's a do not disturb mode um which is i think that is on uh, discord could be on windows as well <clears throat> slow mo oh yeah and let me just Discord makes me want to throw the wall at the computer sometimes too yeah <laughs> no i've i've i think we've all been there <laughs> i think we've all been ba-ding, 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 ba-ding. yeah Good yeah. God help you if you have a computer by your uh, – a phone by your bed and uh, Discord mm. notifications. It's going to be a, a restless night of, huh, what? Right. So I think I've just squished that particular problem. So uh, – Now, why, why would – this is something I've been sort of question. Why on earth would you have – I mean, I know that there's one in Winnipeg, Canada, which has had some untoward Chinese mm-hmm. researchers there as well. But it seems mm. odd to me that – <laughs> Wait, to just get another one. <laughs> it seems I don't, I don't even see a running in task manager to, to kill it. That's no, that's thing. fine. It's not. No, it's not me, is it? No, I don't think so. But uh, anyway, so why would you have a BSL four lab right in the middle of a populated area? That seems like a very strange decision to me. I mean, it's sort of like building a nuclear power plant right uh, in in a suburb. Uh, yeah, and you have to sort of. Um you have to put that in the context of the egos that often scientists tend to have. Oh, coupled... nothing will ever escape from my lab. Right, right, okay. <laughs> right. Uh, pretty much. And uh, coupled with the uh, open fire hose of Chinese currency, which has basically taken China from 
sort of peasantry after the Second World War to what is essentially the world's manufacturing base. And Wuhan is very central to China, so it would be difficult to get to if you were having, if you were trying to find it as a place to get to. So it makes sense to sort of put it there where it is. But you also need to attract people to do some of the work. And we know that the uh, PIs that are involved, so some of the scandal that uh, has blown up in Canada's face uh, from the Winnipeg um, Institute. And let's be clear about this whilst I've got the sort of uh, the, the Stefan Molyneux megaphone. Um, I don't, uh, I've been sort of struggling to get heard. It's not just Winnipeg, there are multiple organizations that have got dirty hands and sticky fingers all around this institute. And I mean, this is probably asking you out of turn, but my just rabid curiosity, Kevin, sort of remains like, what on earth? You get so little information about what happened in Winnipeg and other places. Harvard, the guy was, what, he's just arrested? Uh, he's been charged yes. because he did yep. not disclose like massive financial and uh, mm -hmm. uh, contractual ties to, to China. What is this? I mean, this may be just gossip, so to speak. Uh, you probably don't know any more than, than I do, other than maybe people have talked to you uh, in the business. But what, what is going on with these ties to China, with these people being escorted out, uh, being frog-marched out, being perp-walked out of these uh, labs at, at, on a regular basis? What is the story there? It's money. At the end, it's just as simple as that. And again, the ego stroking. And uh, the more a scientist is able to pump up their value with respect to money coming in and uh, the research directions that they can take, the more valuable they become to the institute themselves. So um, you can be sure the buck didn't just stop with that uh, PI and chairman at Harvard. I'll absolutely guarantee you that went right to the top and you're basically seeing a firewall kick in with respect to that individuals own dealings and there'll be enough sort of distance to make some degree of ambiguity with respect to who who you could track down potentially as being um involved but my very like i say i've only come onto youtube within the sort of last month or so because of what i saw as the inherent disregard for um, protocols for the uh, for the uh, negligence towards people because the corners they were actually following the protocols that they're supposed to which is publish or perish and get funding right that is what's drummed into you when you sort of get on the the greasy pole up the uh, up the the stairway of academia to its illustrious heights and they all just deal in money and trying to scratch each other's back and the same happens with publications I've witnessed it firsthand and of course there's some good folks in science I you know genuinely I genuinely believe that a lot of people got into it or get into it out of uh, generally more sort of altruistic and curiosity based reasons but there's there's just something about once money kicks in that starts making things very uh, sketchy. Well, I so. mean, and I've done shows on this, so I'll just do a 
22nd rant here, but science is not what people think it is. Science is not the, you know, curious, relentless, rational pursuit of truth, no matter what the costs. Science has become a big government bureaucracy. It is a giant government program. It has very little relationship to the free market. It's full of politics and ego and money grubbing and grant hunting and buddy buddying and, and firewalls of intellectual hostility. And it's really just turned into a gossip mongering a capital-destroying, knowledge-obscuring, politically correct pile of garbage as a whole. Again, as you point out, there are individuals within the systems who don't follow that particular line, but I think they're few and far between, and I think they're kind of fading out. Yeah, and I would uh, I would agree with every uh, word that you said there, and, that's, um, and the reason I can say that is because through the, most of my career, I wasn't, I didn't have to climb that... Uh, silly highway to glory because I was getting uh, charitable funding for my research. So it wasn't a lot of money. I mean, I was running a research program on $50,000, $60,000 a year. Obviously, I wasn't paying for infrastructure and I was dependent on the beneficence of uh, other individuals who would obviously um, gain from my work being done in their their facility but uh, as a consequence of that and i think just through the grace of god that I, what i was doing was geared towards helping children that i was able to uh, escape a lot of the uh, the more unsavory elements of the discipline well, and I do want to point out that uh, i've seen some of the comments on your videos of people thanking you enormously for your work particularly on Tourette's syndrome but let's i guess dive into the meat of the matter what is the issue with COVID, COVID-19, coronavirus, and the central nervous system? Because all we've really heard about is, you know, it's going to hit your lungs. Uh, I've talked to other doctors who said uh, that it's going to plug into receptors elsewhere in your body. I haven't heard much about the central nervous system. So I wonder if you could lay out what you have understood in that area. Yeah, so um, the, the inner nutshell is that ever since SARS broke onto the scene, uh, the virologists knew that there was a what they call a neurotrophic component to the virus, which means it's able to latch on to receptors and basically in a retrograde, meaning go backwards up an axon and infect cell bodies. And they've sort of shown over the years that this infection or this virus has the capacity to jump transsynaptically. So once in the nervous system, once it sort of traveled up the spinal cord. So the first video, first videos I made were saying that COVID attacks the central nervous system and destroys an area of the brain called Botzinger complex, which is in the medulla, which is your brainstem. And, um, and I was, you know, my suspicions had been aroused because I'd seen what looked like Tourettisms coming out of China. And, you know, that sort of tuned me into the fact that, well, it, it may. So it, I would say for your listeners, it may it may have a mechanism similar to rabies in terms of how it sort of propagates in the central nervous system. It might not be as pathogenic as rabies. So it might sort of lie somewhere between measles and rabies with respect to um, how lethal it is. Um, but one of the things that we're seeing right now is that, and I did a very long stream today 
because there was and this his videos are a couple of days old from uh, New York and it's literally an ICU medic who he's uh, literally just sort of imploring people with you know a few hundred subscribers that there is a um something going on with covid that they don't understand as uh medics that are geared towards treating viral pneumonia he said that in his words i'm paraphrasing are uh, it looks something akin to sort of um altitude like they're being taken up to very high altitude and they're not getting uh, enough oxygen with their uh, with their breathing and so boxing a complex in the uh, in the brainstem is involved in the rhythmicity of your breathing right so as myself and yourself are speaking to each other we can you don't think about your breathing right there's a pacing that, <laughs> that goes with it and um like i say you you're and it's geared on the chemistry of your blood and reflexes themselves and there's a there's a, uh, a rhythmic component to that activity that enables you to breathe without thinking about it if you get an infection in there what's going to happen is, is that rhythmicity is going to be uh, disrupted wait sorry degree. in there meaning the part of the brain that regulates breathing or automates breathing yeah so oh so this sorry to interrupt but this is the people who are it's so weird because it reminds me of a very old Flintstones cartoon that I watched as a kid where he gets a virus where he can't fall asleep and they have to kind of keep him up. So these are the people who are scared to fall asleep because they're afraid that they're going to forget, in a sense, how to breathe. Yes, very much so. And so there was a so very important paper came out as, to, in, as a sort of rapid communication in, I want to say, Journal of Virology right now and um the reason the reason i sort of paid attention to it was because uh the one of the authors was affiliated with one of the institutes that i'm affiliated with uh Riken in japan and you know that institute has its own problems and we, we could spend a whole episode talking about that um but they because of that i i usually get a lot of papers across my desk so i still review stuff because people ask me to do it and they request me and i get a lot of papers that come from chinese um, authors and usually i'm sort of uh, skeptical in a way often because the results often just seem too good and that's how the stats were looking with respect to china as the the death toll and the the afflicted were um mounting up and so um well, yeah, you know, I just had a lot of suspicions and this this one, they mentioned this brain region because SARS as a virus was known to uh, be expressed in that region. But the problem being that m most medics are going to see or think SARS viral pneumonia. They're not going to think viral uh, neurotroph like rabies. That's the problem. And like I say, uh, if people go to, I, I don't know, I've, people said that my stream got taken down straight away today. I don't know if that's true or not, but there's, uh, you can get on my Discord. There's a, the Discord is public right now, and um, there's a lot of links in there if people want to sort of follow up what I'm saying. Um, there, there is a paper trail in this case. And, right, and, and um, should something happen to this uh, stream, one of mine, 
vanished. Of course, YouTube has a lot of automation that's going on at the moment and not a lot mm -hmm. of manual review. So people can find this uh, uh, dlive.tv forward slash free domain. So dlive.tv forward slash free domain. People can mm -hmm. uh, follow this if it should happen to vanish from YouTube, which I guess won't help people <laughs> if they're on YouTube but they can't hear this. But anyway, mm -hmm. uh, for those of you who are listening. So, okay, so the virus let's start like real, you know, explain it to me like I'm, I'm five years old, right? So mm -hmm. the virus is an RNA thing. It's, you know, not even really considered mm -hmm. a life form. It's sheathed mm -hmm. in a kind of fat. It gets into mm -hmm. your system. It plugs into receptors. Then what? Uh, so then it will um, unravel itself. So the, the protein coat will be shed and the lipid protection around the viral uh, code its genetic makeup, which in this case is RNA, um, will be injected into the cytoplasm of the cell. And there are uh, things called ribosomes in the cell, which are geared towards um, taking uh, messenger RNA from the cell nucleus and encoding it into proteins and uh, elements that the cell needs for functioning. And that can, like I say, that could be fixed hormones to neurotransmitters to, you know, there's, the list is potentially endless as, as you would sort of rattle through it. But once inside the, the cell, it can uh, it hijacks the uh, ribosomes and then begins to sort of replicate in such a way that um, it then gets encapsulated again and then gets shuttled out or along the axon of the neuron, if, it's, if we're speaking about the central nervous system, and then it will it'll jump to the uh, the targets around the cell body. So it could cause the cell to it's called lysis. So the cell will sort of burst once the sort of viral load gets high enough, or it can if there. So the brain is a, a specialized region. Uh, so it's called immunoprivileged. So the blood-brain barrier is there to sort of act as a stopgap to most pathogens getting in. And most medics would sort of, that, that would be where their knowledge would sort of stop unless they're sort of familiar with things things like rabies, as, a, as an example. I'm, I'm using rabies because, one, most people are familiar with it. And, two, I'm, I would make the the... I would put the hypothesis forward that you're seeing some sort of uh, progression through the central nervous system like you do with rabies. But in the case of rabies, I think what you tend to see is more that it, it actually physically destroying the individual neurons within a network. And potentially what you've got with um, the COVID uh, virus is that it, instead of just lysing the cell, it's just enough to sort of uh, keep hijacking and shedding neurons into into a network and sort of spreading where it needs to go. And then occasionally it would sort of flip into a sort of more pathogenic mode. And so a good a good example of the peripheral nervous system is uh, shingles, uh, herpes zoster that would have a so a lot of the time you don't have it, and then for, so for whatever reason, it just sort of decides to rear its ugly head <laughs> at a particular moment. And I'm guessing, well, I'm hypothesizing the same is true with COVID. So what does this mean for the progression of the illness? And are you saying that COVID can cross the 
barrier uh, and then mm. start uh, going at the brain? Yes. Yeah. So uh, the blood brain barrier is essentially includes all the spinal cord and uh, the uh, the dura dura mater around the brain, and so it's it's an extended structure uh, across the whole of the body, right? And so, if there's a uh, a retrograde component to the uh, to the virus itself, in theory, you could prick it into the end of your uh, big toe, and it would travel up the the motor or sensory axon uh, all the way up to the spinal cord make the jump because there's a there's a synapse in the uh, spinal cord itself that receives sensory and motor input and that's that's where sort of basic reflexes come from okay the sort of activation of that circuit once in there so it's already got into the nervous system by traveling up the axon from your big toe it's coming towards the spinal cord it makes the jump into the uh the spinothalamic tracts and these go right up to the brain but there's a added extra complication here that um one of the weakest points where covid can attack is the oral mucosa in the brain uh, in the nasal passages and by transfecting the uh, sensory nerve endings that enable you to smell it travels to a region called the olfactory bulb and from the olfactory bulb it's one it's another synapse into a reason region called the basal ganglia and these are a collection of deep nuclei in the mid and forebrain that's kind of what goes wrong in Tourette's and um, Parkinson's and so that's where I the spitting and the the impulsivity is what I saw that stood out for me rather than so <laughs> So when someone's ill and they feel feverish, um, they tend to get lethargic almost with temperature and fever because you don't feel well and your body says you need to shut down. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had that occasionally where you just you just lie in bed, you're not alert or awake enough to do anything, but you're not actually kind of asleep. It's kind of this weird no time situation yeah. like you're kind of lost in space like you kind of look up and it's like oh wow two hours have gone by right. and you just lie there uh in this sort of raskolnikovian kind of half world between sleep and waking and it's actually kind of cool in a way because it keeps your energy low uh mm -hmm. which is good because you keep your activity low uh but also it helps pa pass the time until you get better because it's a little bit of a waiting mm -hmm. game with this stuff yes yeah and so um if we're dealing with a situation where the primary route of infection is the central nervous system first because it's, let's go the, the nasal route. And the, the virus is hijacking the brain uh, in a way that they don't have the, uh, the respiratory symptoms that, we're, that people are defining the, the disorder by. And potentially what you have then is you, so I, I was, tongue-in-cheek calling them covid zombies and just in sort of um deference to person who i i'm sure your listeners like listening to as well is jim metica i think he's really funny he does a really funny podcast and one of his um sort of uh themes is is the uh global pestilence pandemic and he coined the term corona chan 
as this as the name for covid and I, I sort of took it from there that once once the transfection has got into the basal ganglia this region is responsible for the automatic components to behavior okay so say for example i'm talking to you but i know i've got a cup in front of me i can reach for the cup and guide my action in such a way and make the decision to do that with through the aid of these nuclei called the basal ganglia as a layman's approach and like i say when they go wrong when you're old you can't move and in the other case in youngsters when the nervous system is being primed you get involuntary behaviors and like i said that's what i saw that was the marker for me does it kick in around I don't know what the technical term is that I would sort of call it the third eye or the observing ego, the part of you that looks at yourself and says, uh, well, how am I behaving relative to my values, relative to good behavior, relative to my standards, relative to what is socially acceptable? I don't know if you'd call it the shame brain or something like that. But shame brain's good. Yeah. Does it does it kick in and disinhibit people from social norms? I guess. Is that is that a potential scenario? Yeah, absolutely, the potential scenario, and that's precisely what you're seeing. And so, the you know the most striking video footage coming out of uh, China were the people that were going in and spitting onto whether it be buttons in an elevator because they think no one's watching, or the uh, or the drinks in a in a store. Or I've seen a woman, uh, it was a Chinese woman opening and closing and, and rubbing her hands on the on the keyboards in a like a computer store. So when people yes, come and yes. test the keyboards, mm. they then get the virus mm. that way. Yeah. So all all those types of things can be so OCD type behaviors are manifested through this network as well. So um, you have to think of the the virus once transfecting it's sort of you have to think of it as shunting the network to a uh, uh, readiness state that under nor normal circumstances would take more steps to get to and then from its its altered baseline then comes the jump to uh the the the, the automatic behaviors so the the spit reflex being this one that i sort of home in on as being uh the, the critical uh, the critical factor for this so as a virus you want to be able to spread as far as you can without people really knowing that you're sick right so you, the virus wants carriers right and so if someone's coughing um people instinctively have a sort of uh a revulsion to that type of behavior especially if you're on planes or trains and a lot of the footage that i was seeing earlier on was coming from aeroplanes, okay? So people sort of uh, flipping out on an aeroplane, and usually, you know, people flip out on aeroplanes. That's normal. But it's the spitting that came, right? And I was like, oh yeah, that 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 to me just sort of was the sort of nail in the coffin that said I need I need to do something because there is this uh, dereliction of duty that um, I don't know what you like for time, but I would I would literally just start reading out the people who need to be held to account. And I would start right from the top with, um, I, you know, you could probably forgive the president of the United States right now because he can't know everything. He, he defers to experts. But well, he like was surgeon. also dealing with a massive impeachment coup attempt for, right. for many years <laughs> that happened to overlap with the start of this 
virus, which, of course, puts at least some of the blame on the uh, lap of the Democrats. Not that they'll ever take any blame. They seem to lack that observing ego <laughs> and the shame mm. brain uh, aspect mm. of things. But, yeah, there was a lot a lot that was going on that was going to be mm. somewhat distracting. Yeah. So um, as I sort of watch this um, theater of absurd begin to commence, the the one thing that really, you know, boiled my blood i'll try not to swear too much uh the was the press conference by the surgeon general when it was understood that it was arriving in the united states at a sort of uh large enough scale that it was going to be difficult to fudge it with numbers with respect to flu or other respiratory illnesses okay and in in that press meeting, the Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, stood up and went in front of the American people and the world, because the, the world still looks to the United States for guidance somewhat. And there hadn't been any guidance coming from the East. We can get into that as well. Um, but he stood up there and unflinchingly said to the public, you don't need masks. And generally, you're too stupid to even know how to uh, use a mask properly. Literally, those were his words, I'm paraphrasing. But um, that's what was said. And as a consequence of that, I would just say there was a, a neglect put into the strategic posture of the West that enabled it to, has enabled this pathogen to get a foothold that had the statistics been correct from the beginning and the reporting been correct from the beginning, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Oh, I mean, we could probably do an entire show on how COVID-19, COVID-1984, it seems to be becoming, how it is largely a government-engineered crisis. I mean, whatever we think of in terms of the origins, the fact that the Chinese Communist Party shut down debate, wouldn't let the World Health Organization in, although that may be a benefit given how the WHO is acting these days. Uh, jailed doctors uh, threw, out, threw dissidents into gulags for talking about it, let it, 5 million people get out of Wuhan, didn't close their airports, let it go around the world, and then went around the world scooping up medical equipment and taking it back to China, and then also shipping not only ineffective but also infected surgical, uh, sorry, um, uh, masks and other kinds of protective equipment around the world, surgical masks and so on. I mean, it, and then, of course, not closing. You, apparently, you can close the economy later, but you can't close the borders to begin with. I mean, it's all completely mad. They downplay it in order to help it spread, and then they completely crush the economy. I mean, you really couldn't be working harder to wreck America, to wreck the West, to wreck the world as a whole. Uh, it is really uh, like watching people with detonators go into a building and call themselves architects. Right. Um, again, you, you won't get any argument from me in that respect. Um, and like I say, there are there are people, uh, if I could work it out, then I'm pretty sure that intelligence agencies and people that had boots on the ground all, all through this knew what was coming. And, you know, what it, what looks like a sort of slow burn 9-11, and I would make the argument that it's even worse than 9-11 because the numbers... The, the immediate death toll or the cumulative death toll is much, uh, much higher than 9-11. That was a one day event. Uh, the knock on consequences we are, are, of course, still dealing with. But the, yeah, the, the, the stuttering and the 
willful blindness. I want I want to think it was just uh, ignorance. And I, I think there's the saying about you know don't ascribe malice where stupidity will do. Well, um, I'm not. I, you know that may be your perspective, uh, Kevin, and and obviously you're welcome to it. But um, no, if if you put yourself forward as an expert, you should know what the hell you're talking about. And yeah. when you've got and people like Dr. Fauci in January saying, oh, it's, you know, it's not going to be a big deal for Americans, nothing for them to worry about, it's not going to have much effect. Yes, it's serious, but it's not going to be a big deal for America. It's like, well, that's a pretty, pretty important thing to get wrong. You know, that, that's a pretty important thing, because if this guy who has, you know, the ear of the president and so on, if he was able to make the case in a public and compelling manner about the danger of this damn thing early on, then there might have been enough outrage and momentum to close the borders, in which case America, and we know this, if China had not, if China had just closed its airports, it would have mitigated 95% of the impact of coronavirus. It would be localized. It would be much easier to deal with. There could be very decisive measures put in place to tamp it down. Now, of course, there is the long-run problem, which we can talk about, about this genie being out of the bottle and it ain't going back in, Robin Williams style. So how are we going to deal with that? But yeah, for sure, uh, to me, it's fine if some you know idiot in a chat window says, well, it's just like the flu. It's like, well, he's just some idiot in a chat window, right? You're supposed to take anyone seriously. But when people are specifically paid and taking millions or hundreds of millions or billions of dollars of taxpayers' money to keep taxpayers safe and claim a string of alphabet soup credentials after their name and, and put the doctor in front and it counts for you too, right? But the reality is that they do have an obligation to A, be correct, and B, if they're incorrect, to humbly apologize and tell everyone what, what went wrong. Like, for instance, I'd love to see the actual algorithms and the source data behind all of this modeling that's going so wrong, right? I mean, that, that open it up. Open source, man. Come on. Yeah, and all, all of that needs to be transparent now. And again, like I say, if I've, uh, with, with the heavy artillery that you bring to my message, I would, you know, I don't have a hesitation in calling out um, who, who we need to call out. And one is uh, Fauci, and I will just... Uh, he knows who he is, and I hope he's listening. Um, uh, he's he sort of filled me in a lot with respect to the history of Fauci, who's been there in the background since the Reagan administration. He's uh, he's the epitome of what I would call a deep state actor, and he those were his words spoken by the Surgeon General when they said when they told the people. You don't need masks. Masks won't help you. And masks very much will help you. And you're gonna get some smart ass say, well, you don't you need an N95 or an N one hundred mask. And I would say, well, yeah, maybe if you're dealing with the ill um twenty-four-seven. But actually right now, ninety-nine percent of the population, whilst whilst people like ourselves, Stefan, who are just Joe Public at the end of the day, have to sort of make decisions for your family for the people that you care about and so on and so forth you, you need to be able to have some degree of predictive capacity to understand what's going on and when they when they say no masks how many people turned around and said it's not necessary right and even now they're still doing it and right now the cdc is considering reversing its current stance but the it's too slow it's too slow right now and it needs to happen right now and they need to uh, the injunction needs to be shelter in place 
and if you when you need to go out which is to get your supplies that you need so i don't know milk eggs fresh fresh stuff that you can get hold of you need something as a barrier that stops you touching around your nose and mouth okay? oh yeah sorry to interrupt but uh, i just i mean i i Chris Martinson kind of clued, clued people into this. There's sort of three basic reasons that you need to wear masks. Number one, of course, it prevents the aerosol spray from your cough and your sneeze. Number two, uh, it doesn't eliminate it, but it reduces it. Number two, as you point out, it reminds you to stop touching your face. And number three, it reduces <clears throat> the dosage of the virus, which is really, really important. You, you think about people getting or not getting the virus. Well, it's the difference between winged by a shotgun and getting one straight to the chest, right? So a smaller dose of the virus is much easier for your immune system to clear. A larger dose of the virus can easily tsunami-like overwhelm you, and then you're in serious trouble. So those three things are very important, and it's almost incomprehensible as to why this basic sensible precaution. I mean, when I was in Hong Kong last fall shooting my documentary, I mean, masks were everywhere. And this was prior to the um, the, the rollout, so to speak, of, of COVID-19. And um, the idea that you would just say to people that they're not necessary is, uh, I, I don't even know what to say, other than it, it appears to oh, have a, a specifically murderous intent. I mean, you're going to get people killed. Yes. That, that would be my take on it. And you, ev everything that you said is right for the reasons to be wearing a mask. But I would just add that what we do know happened during the... Uh, so as the CDC and the Surgeon General and all those uh, organizations which are supposed to kick in are um, speaking to the public at large, what we do know is that the CDC was requisitioning medical supplies for themselves so what they considered to be essential personnel um and the uh, the well the decision was made that they'll, that they'll handle what comes down the line and they that someone's calculated the losses right at some point there's some algorithm and network you know chugging along that's giving them sort of up to up to the minute sort of predictions and a a decision was made that they will um tell the people not to bother they don't and you know what they're trying to do is stop the onset of panic right because the mask wearing sort of increases the idea in the western mind that there is something really pathogenic about this new new thing that we're seeing and you know, again, you know, it might just be stupidity, but you know, you are a you are a very very nice young man. It is it is wonderful to be in the presence of such benevolent optimism. I don't happen to share that benevolent optimism. Uh, you you may be right. I hope you're right that they just don't want to start a panic. Well, I don't. I think you know the fact that that people can't pay the rent, the fact that people are out of work, the fact that the economy is collapsing around us might be some indication that a panic is is underway. I think there are a couple of things. I think that um, the moment they tell people to start wearing masks, people want to go and get masks. And what will they find? There aren't any masks, and that's going to be a big issue. And the second thing, which is supposition, of course, but it's based upon very clear historical facts, which is that when governments can't pay their bills, they tend to eliminate excess population. 
This is well-known, well-known throughout history. You promise the world to everyone, particularly in a democracy, oh, you can have all the pensions and free health care and, and subsidized wages and all of this kind of stuff. We're going to just spend, spend, spend. And then when, when the bill comes due, traditionally, what governments do is they go to war. Right, they go to war, kills off a bunch of population, and then they just reset. In other words, you can borrow your way into future elimination. Now, I'm not saying this is anybody's plan. I'm not saying it's conscious, but there is this particular historical pattern. So for me, I mean, the Chinese Communist Party is uh, you know, one of the, if not the worst mass murderer in the history of the planet. So when people say, well, well what, what, what you're saying, it could be some kind of bioweapon, but that would harm their own population. It's like, hello, this is the communism. That's, that's, their, that's number one on their job resume, willing to harm and kill millions of their own people. And so the idea that a virus gets out that eliminates People dependent on the state who are very expensive to the state, uh, the, the frail, the infirm, the, the diabetic, the obese, the, the elderly, and so on. Again, I'm not saying any of this is plotted. I'm not saying any of this is planned. But it's the kind of thing where, you know, hmm, well, it's true it is a global pandemic. But, boy, it might help solve some of our unfunded liabilities. I just think that kind of cooks down there because it's really incomprehensible as to how anti-productive, anti-help, anti-safety, anti-healthcare the responses have all been. I'm just putting that out there as the rant. I'm not saying I've proven anything. I'm just saying there's a lot of historical precedent. Um, and um, the precedent is, I would argue, overwhelming in that sense. And like I say, I'm being on my best behavior with respect to <laughs> the nice. words that I'm, I'm using right now, which is, yeah, if you were to speak to me privately, I would be much more... Um, be much more direct with my language is how I would put it and the 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 simple fact of the matter is that this you know once herd immunity is established and that's what they're going for make no bones about it okay so they, let's sorry just to, to break that one out uh, a little bit yeah. more we've got uh, quite a number of people watching who probably kind of knew so uh, herd, herd immunity what, what's uh, what's the story there so herd immunity is where basically the percentage of your population has a natural or built up immunity to the uh, pathogen that um, any sort of losses are minimized. So it would be the elderly or, or the very, um, well, God forbid it's the young, but um, you hope it's the elderly going first rather than the young. And the, But generally the population is robust enough to withstand any sort of um, onslaught by uh onslaught sorry by a pathogen and the uh the you there's herd immunity to many things already right so one of them being uh measles so that was achieved through uh vaccinations and the um smallpox is another so you know we've we've gone a long way to eradicating uh smallpox i mean the one of the few places left with um smallpox are these bsl4 laboratories right and um you know that i can to give you some insight i can absolutely guarantee you that um via whatever method they want to choose whether it's you know sort of techniques that people are familiar with now that sort of come into common parlance like uh, CRISPR or uh, other sort of uh, gene shuttling 
mechanisms or even just through sort of cross crossbreeding or cross infecting in animals themselves so if you've got a colony of monkeys and you give them at the same time rabies smallpox and um, SARS for example and you wait to see how the cell cooks that up in in a way that <laughs> you don't know you don't know what's coming out the crazy uh, conveyor belt at, at the end and you know I would I would probably you know my hedging my bets I would say that's what happened in Wuhan that it was well there's no difference between a research virus versus a weaponized virus it's just scale and one of those okay hang viruses... on sorry i just wanted to to open that seems like quite a bit to unpack in that uh, uh, rather casual statement so there's no difference functionally i mean in terms of like a research virus you're going to manipulate you're going to edit it and so on uh, so I can understand that, but in the intent, right, if you wanted to create a bioweapon virus, and everyone thinks that the virus, a bioweapon virus would be designed to attack and kill people, that's not the case. At least that's not, you know, if I had an evil twin, that's not how I would design a virus. I would design a virus kind of similar to what COVID-19 is, in that it has a very long gestation period, that people are asymptomatic, that... Um, disables people, it debilitates people. It, in other words, it's a virus that attacks the economy through people. The, the, the central goal is the economy. Of course, it disables uh, the, the, we've got two aircraft carriers in America who are disabled at the moment functionally because of this thing. And the other thing that I would do is I would try and get it across the blood-brain barrier so that it would disinhibit people and thus be something, they would have them engage in activities that would help spread it in, in an odd way. So I'm not saying it is a weapon. I don't know. Nobody does. But um, this is just a misconception. Well, well, it doesn't have a high lethality rate. It's like, well, it does to the economy. <laughs> That's going to have secondary splash damage on people's survivability. And of course, you do want to overwhelm the healthcare system if you want to design this kind of weapon, because then there's a lot of splash damage from people who otherwise will need it for various ailments and problems. And, you know, they all say this, oh, we've only canceled elective surgery. Well, it's not a hobby, people. People really do need those those surgeries. So when you say functionally, like through gene editing, through CRISPR, the same process is used to research viruses to create a bioweapon. But if you did want to create a bioweapon, sorry, I asked a question. I'm going on a rant here. The question is, is coming up. I, I apologize for that. But no, you, ca you carry on. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you are editing a virus, you would be doing the same process. It would be the same process, but the design goal would probably be different. Is that, is that what you mean? Yes. Okay. Sense. I just wanted to double check on that so people could 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 be clear about that at least at least I could be clear about it. So mm -hmm. now, um, sorry, you got a, you were just in the middle of a thought. I, I rudely interrupted you um, because I, I try not to be dragged along without comprehension behind technical terms. Uh, if you wanted to finish your thought, I thought we could uh, take a couple of cues from the audience. Um, well, I mean, I, I guess if I had to, you know, if this was a thirty-second wrap-up and it's this was Fox News, I would. I would finish with this, that Fauci, uh, Surgeon General, heads of the CDC, the NIH, all those people that would have been in the know, all those top people, they've got to, they've, they need the perp walk right now because pretty sure most of them will have some degree of understanding of what's going on. And like I say, their job is to the public, not to themselves. And um, they they didn't come through when it mattered and um they've they've shown how expendable they think we are 
Well, I mean, even that phrase, I know it's a technical phrase, but herd immunity, meh, right? I mean, so Mm. now, uh, but then, of course, the lawsuits, I assume, would start, right? In that, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are already people in Spain suing the Spanish government for telling everyone to go attend feminist rallies in March um, Mm. and saying it was was no problem. Okay, so let's do a couple of questions. Uh, If you don't... You know, if if it's not relevant, you don't have any answers. Obviously, you know that uh, you can just say pass. You know, in the old mastermind way, when the, the game show when I was a kid. Why are there so many videos of empty hospitals? Uh, that's a good question, and this is something that I would le- like to get to the bottom of as well. So, um, if if we're going to take the conspiratorial line that there is um, a mass uh, hypnotic campaign being taking place that's designed to get people to stay indoors then we need to try to get to the bottom of that straight away so if there's footage of empty hospitals we don't know what time they were taken that footage and uh, when it was taken etc people can go and check either way and i would i would encourage that uh, the citizen journalist to um, to get an idea of the foot traffic coming in and out, the ambulances coming in and out. That's what I would want to know. And the uh, the the second part to that is um, Kibono, right? Who who's benefiting if if that is the case? And you know, a lot of my when I sort of first started streaming was well you know my thoughts were well are you looking at the first steps of next generation warfare going more kinetic than it has done outside the middle east for the past 20 years and are we sort of heading towards that spasm of humanity which is war as you uh, politely put it as a way of sort of um, dwindling down population uh, Well, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that all of the people who've been stymied by America's vast military presence around the world are waiting for the economy to implode or the military to be more disabled, and then they're just going to go do what they do. I mean, the world is a bunch of jackals uh, on the zebras of our freedoms. And so uh, that is definitely... Now, there's a couple of reasons why there may be these empty empty hospitals. So, of course, there are different strains. Uh, Last count, I got eight different strains of different uh, virulence and lethality. And so it could just be that it hasn't hit or a mild version has hit or people just think they've got the flu. It could be that people are afraid to go to hospitals because they're afraid of getting sicker and they're just having milder symptoms because they got a low dose of a low virulence uh, virus. It it could be that uh, the moment people come in uh, coughing up blood that they're immediately quarantined and isolated and they're put into these negative pressure rooms and so on and therefore you're not going to see them because you can't even see them if you're married to them so you're not going to see them from the bloody waiting room or the non-bloody waiting room I suppose. Also of course it could be that uh, because a lot of elective surgeries have been cancelled that the hospitals are very quiet if they just don't happen to have a bunch of coronavirus patients around. But it's sort of like, you know, in the, the Great London Fire of 1666, you could take a bunch of photos of buildings that weren't burning. That doesn't mean there wasn't the Great London Fire of 1666. So uh, there's a lot of different possibilities um, 
Uh, but yeah, you got to be careful. Because listen, I I don't think I'm being pranked. I don't think I'm being trolled. But I am getting endless messages from healthcare workers uh, at their wits end and terrified and overwhelmed and so on. So uh, I just, you know, that's not any kind of proof of anything other than my sort of uh, my sort of experience. All right. Um, okay. Well, I would I would just yeah, go ahead. add to that um, that, like I say, all I have is uh, my own understanding of these situations and a thing that I didn't mention at the beginning when you were asking me to elaborate on what the BSL uh, designations are was that as far as I could tell, because I'm trained to operate like BSL two, three, BSL four is weapons. So I, I wouldn't go in there as civilian. Um, the, the strictures for biosafety lab protocols were not being observed as I could tell they should be observed and that was highly evident from the beginning of watching as well as the statistics so that's i would just add that at the end of that question uh okay um do you know anything about the effects and possible benefits or downsides of cannabis on the nervous system could it be a beneficial medicine during covid19 or is this a myth now i've not heard this myth but i assume that there's a there is a stoner culture out there uh, which, uh, you know, uh, it, it helps with everything. You know, it's like Windex in my Greek wedding, right? It helps with everything. And yeah. so um, do, do you know anything? I mean, are they saying, oh, yeah, you know what's going to help you with COVID is weed? Uh, so, like I said, the the last sort of correspondence I think I sent you was the, uh, the case of the lady in her 50s where they, they were sort of identifying... Well, they didn't go into her mental state. They just said it was altered. But um, they they describe a number of different types of encephalopathies and lesions. And uh, CBD oils are known to be uh, effective for um, anti-inflammatory purposes. So there's that component to it. And what I would add is that CBD has a lot of interest with respect to Tourette's because it's young kids sort of respond to it and naive children are, are, are sort of very good uh, blind test to the efficacy of a compound and CBD oil seems to help and it's efficacious in uh, uh, epilepsy. And um, so you can now get Sativex as a uh treatment which is a uh treatment based on weed that is clinically proven to help with epilepsy and potentially with tourette syndrome and you could be potentially protecting your brain with um it being shunted to that you know, that impulsivity level potentially like i say i've just as a caveat to that i would say i've been very reluctant to tell people what they should and shouldn't take other than the sort of barrier type well we're comfortable thing. with masks that's not exactly medical advice <laughs> right. but no i i'm with you man i mean the number of 
Massive doses of vitamin C, colloidal silver, stay away from 5G, hide under the bed. I mean, literally, the the amount of medical, I don't know, hack medical advice that's pouring into my inbox is kind of overwhelming. And um, yeah, I mean, we're, this is not that show. You know, this is this is not that show. I'm not going to do any kind of medical advice here. Okay, what what is the story with the kill rate? You know, if if you take um, if you take the resolved cases, right, you divide or you, you get the ratio of deaths to resolved cases, you can get a kill rate of 18%. Uh, it's 17, 18% uh, directly among the old. You hear uh, that it's below 1% according to other metrics if you model how many people might have it versus how many people die. Do you have any sense? I mean, I know it's a little bit of spin the wheel and pick the numbers, but do you have any sense of how lethal this is? So I would make the argument that right now, because of the exponent rise in um, the population at large, that what they call the case is uh, is not an appropriate measure to use because you want that ratio to be held with a constant in the population at large. Sorry, I, uh, I apologize. Um, could you start that one again? I was listening, I promise you. But when <laughs> right. you say the population, you don't mean the general population, you mean the population of people who've tested positive? No, so this is where we have to make a very okay, distinct Okay, good, let's, let's get that nailed right. down, please. Yeah, so um, the case fatality ratio is often used with the number of active cases, all of them, and then taking the number of dead and doing the getting your ratio so doing the division and working out percentage that's a flawed method because you can't derive any sort of parametric like statistics from it because of the you've got the constantly changing uh, variable in your in your subject population right so the only thing you can work out you can't work out a case fatality rate from that bit of data what you can work out is a, a trend of, of some form and that's that's potentially going towards the R naught of the uh, of the disease itself. So that's where the the population at large is a useful metric. And I would say right now the best metric we have with respect to lethality is is one where we can close the number of uh, or pare down the number of variables in the equation to be cases closed. Right. So that means a definitive diagnosis and then your case is tracked at some level uh depending on how the, how you want to how that person wants to present um and then you know in in that definition comes somewhere what they call will be the case closed um defining component and i don't know if that's not going to the doctor for three weeks or you know or they discharge you from hospital but that group, the closed cases, and um, I don't know if I check the amounts right now, but um, so in my numbers, the uh, uh, the the morbidity rate in um, in the closed cases is currently at twenty one percent. This is just using Worldometer's info. Yeah, and uh, so there's currently sixty two thousand four hundred and forty four deaths. And three hundred and four thousand one hundred and eighty-two, uh, which have an outcome, yep. one way or another. So right now, if you have a diagnosis of COVID, and the doctors confirm that through whatever method, 
there's basically a one in five chance of you not making it through. Okay, so now that that seems quite quite striking. Now, again, we do sort of want to point out that this is not demographically distributed evenly across the age spectrum, right? As you point out, uh, kids are, are largely, I wouldn't say immune, but they're safe from, from mortality, and there is a lot of comorbidity that's going on, obesity, diabetes, age. And there is, of course, the fact, which people have pointed out, and it's fair, that anybody who dies with COVID-19 is assumed to have died from COVID-19, and that's going to change some of the numbers, and that's going to have an effect. So this is not like everyone in this audience has a one in five chance of dying no. if they test positive for COVID-19. That's a really, really important thing. But that's yeah. that to me is kind of important, right? Because the metrics that we have are, okay, people who've gone through the cycle of the illness, right? You can't, you can't pick morbidity out of the middle of a pandemic or wherever we are. We're, I think, early in the first wave of the pandemic, and there probably will be historically generally are three waves, a small one, a big one, and then a smaller one. But you can't, it's like sort of looking at the first three days of World War II and saying, well, I know the death count of World War II. And it's like, you really don't, because it's still early on in the whole process. But as far as the cases resolved, yeah, you got, you got one in five people dying after the whole process is done. Now, again, that's people being tested. That's people being tracked. That doesn't count all the people who get sick, who don't go to the hospital, uh, or, who, or who just get what they think is a bad cold. Turns out it was coronavirus, but they just got a small dose or any of these sorts of things. So I don't mean to step into your wheelhouse. I just don't want uh, people to think, uh, oh, no, uh, I've got a cough. I've got a one in five chance of dying. Because uh, I know you're not saying that, but I just want to make that really clear. Yeah, and I would just try and emphasize that point again, that we are just talking about the case closed metric, not the population at large. Um, but if you get a diagnosis, the doctor has to, if he's any good, is going to sit down with you and explain these figures to you, right? You, well, I don't know. Do you want the doctor to tell you in Japan, you can go to the doc doctors and there's a thing on there where you want to know if you have cancer or not right you can you can tick it if you want to know or not right and you can um, avoid the diagnosis and sort of carry on in your uh, merry way without any sort of um you know safe in the knowledge that perhaps you didn't have it right it's becoming a, a sort of game of chance right or roulette each right. time you go to the hospital. <laughs> so somebody has written here, and it's an important thing to address because I do see this a lot. And uh, if you want to take a swing at it, I have a couple of thoughts about it too. But uh, somebody wrote here, Gen Z Philosophy, wrote, in New Hampshire, there are 144 recoveries and only seven deaths. So mm -hmm. this, what we're talking about, doesn't take into account all the people who have had the disease without getting tested and recovered. This is fear porn. And uh, I guess it's about the worst porn on the internet. But um, so uh, do you have any thoughts as to that ratio, of course, being very different from the worldwide ratio that we were just talking about? Uh, just that it's still early days. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm literally just speaking towards the data as how you would approach it or how I would approach it if I wanted to publish data. Right. So the close cases is the best statistical measure that you have because of the numbers in, involved. It's already a large number. Um, once you hit 100,000 cases, the patterns are sort of generally set at a sort of population level anyway. Um, 
but a million cases is even better and so on and so forth but yeah there's just there's too many unknowns and the problem is that there's what i would argue is the neural component to the disorder which people are not taking into account and so there could be people literally um shutting down and so what i found in my uh, own personal research is that you can manipulate uh, these very deep nuclei in the basal ganglia and you can have an awake healthy monkey one minute and essentially the animal is gone seconds to minutes later and there's nothing you can do in in such situations and there appears to be and I, I can come back another time and we can start grubbing through the weeds with respect to some of the people that have been lost and there was one uh, key individual uh, who was tied to, I want to say the Canadian Institute, um, who was working in uh, Africa, but he, he'd received a procedure called deep brain stimulation for alcoholism, okay? And um, this is a very experimental approach in medicine right now because you're dealing with these circuits involved in involved in uh, choice and addiction behaviors and basically it seems to help in in that regard um but it's stimulating the same place that you can induce what as far as i can tell from the research i've done is a massive autonomic dysregulation and collapse and the uh, literally you stop breathing right unless you sort of remember to to breathe and I'm guessing the same interruption can happen to the heart. Um, we know, like I say, I'd encourage readers to sort of go and look at my research. It's all public. Uh, you can look at it on ResearchGate and, you know, a specific focal epilepsy, because that's basically how I induce the effect that I, that I model, um, lights up the whole of the uh, basal ganglia, in including uh, the hippocampus and importantly the amygdala which is involved in fear and it might just be that uh, an, a, an epileptic triggering in those regions is such a sh shock and jolt to the the subject that they do just shut down so we don't know that number of deaths we don't know right now in i can't remember where, which state they said maryland uh no this is new hampshire yeah i mean so, I mean, a couple of reasons why. I mean, I don't know, obviously. It could be that it's a milder strain. New Hampshire, of course, the home of the Free State Project, is uh, pretty anti-government. So there are a lot of people who would have been skeptical of the mainstream media who would have taken precautions early, in which case it may be um, uh, that there are fewer infections and certainly fewer stronger infections. It's a pretty spread out state. It's not as concentrated, obviously not as concentrated as a place like New York City. So there's a lot fewer chances for mass infections uh, and... Um, demographically as well, right? So we know in America that uh, coronavirus is hitting blacks and Hispanics more, and they're a relatively low population in New Hampshire. So like, there, there's six million different reasons. And, and so who knows? Who knows, right? I'm just sort of pointing out. Have you heard anything about reinfection uh, and uh, contracting multiple strains of COVID? Uh, and only what other people have seen themselves. And, you know, there's a limit to what my understanding can take us in this current there must be no affairs. limit to your understanding you must answer <laughs> everything perfectly accurately okay. no matter what the questions are okay sorry go on uh, but theoretically of course that can happen right so you get 
uh, flu uh, each year, or not each year, but uh, multiple times. And that's essentially the same virus. It's just different strains. And um, the same can happen with bacterial infections. It's it's not something that's outside the realm of credibility to think that. And it would, I would say right now, it would behove us to pay attention to every bit of data and to treat it right now as a worst case scenario. So you operate under the assumption that the case closed statistic is the working metric and you, you organize your life uh, accordingly. That's, that's what I would speak to. That's the limit I could speak to that. What are your thoughts about the possibility of vaccines? with regards to COVID. Sorry, that's kind of redundant if I'm not talking about smallpox, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a very touchy subject and I would just be honest about what I've done with my children. Um, I was always skeptical of the, uh, the degree to which vaccines had been uh, accumulated as, especially in the US, of what they would consider uh, what you what you had to vaccinate for. And so when I was growing up, they used to be used to get a polio and yep. um, probably German measles, I, I would guess, and mumps and stuff you had to deal with, chicken pox you had to deal with. Um, and so I erred on the side of caution uh, in with my children. So my first child who's my daughter she um she had a basically the polio diphtheria um and uh tetanus it spread out so those were completed my middle boy just didn't take um the vaccinations very well and he came home drooling from one session and so i just stopped it our third child was premature, and so I just didn't uh, allow any vaccinations. Okay. No, sorry. Um, what I meant was, um, what are your thoughts about the possibility of developing any kind of vaccine for coronavirus? In the next weeks to months, no chance, I would say, unless, you know, there's, there's sort of talk along the jungle vine that, you know, there's already... Um, uh patents for sars um I, I mean i don't know which variant but i know you know people i've heard people speaking about it so you know they might be sort of rolling it out and they might say you know that they're gonna sort of uh play a sort of brutal game of you know you if, if you want to operate within society you have to get the covid vaccine Right. I don't I don't know if that's coming or not. Um, I would hate to think it is. And um, because there's not there's not been enough testing done yet. Right. The uh, you have to double and triple blind studies to make sure that they're, uh, that they're of scientific validity. And then you've also got the issue that uh, vaccine makers are exempt from uh, any sort of litigation. Yeah. And that there are sort of secret courts that are held to compensate people who do think they've been vaccine damaged. So, okay. 
Yeah, it's going to be a while. I mean, this is uh, RNA mutates 100 times more than DNA, and um, they were never able to come up with one for AIDS. And of course, I'm not putting it in the same category at all, but uh, it is not something that is a snap-your-fingers kind of situation. There's no... Um, I mean, obviously, there's no vaccine for the common cold. There's like 100 varieties of that. And there is a vaccine for the flu, but it's based upon roll the dice. How do we think it's going to look next year based upon behaviors of the past? So, uh, so uh, sorry, just a bit more update uh, on um, the New Hampshire. Did I lose that? Man, that is a that is a fast that is a fast chat. Um, okay. Well, I, I hope it's being uh, somewhat... Um, uh, kind. Oh, yeah. So all seven New Hampshire deaths have been people over 60 with underlying health conditions. So seven at 144 makes this disease about 4.85% fatality at the highest estimate. So look, I mean, disagree with me all you like, Kevin, of course, right? I mean, but to me, this underlying health condition thing. Okay, so what? So, okay, so that means if you don't have an underlying health condition, that's great, but it still doesn't alter the fact that COVID killed people. So, ah, oh, well, but they, they also had diabetes. It's like, yeah, but that's not the question. The question is, would they have died if they didn't get COVID, right? So the death rate is important, and just there's, no, there's not this magic wand that suddenly makes the dead come back to life if you identify underlying conditions. I uh, just really wanted to have some compassion for people who have diabetes, who are overweight, who, who are old. I mean, they're dying because of this virus to a large degree, and it doesn't alter the death rate. It does mean, of course, that you have specific groups that you need to worry about more. But, okay, so sorry, that's just if there's anything you wanted to add to that. But it just seems to me kind of cold-hearted. Well, they were immunocompromised. It's like, well... Yeah, but they still died. I mean, it's still bad, right? That's someone's father still, someone's yeah. grandfather, grandmother, yeah. mother. And, uh, you know, I try to um, – I hope that's not COVID. Um, right. the, yeah, yeah, I hope it's not COVID attacking their moral centers or their capacity for human empathy. I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Okay, so let's um, – uh, Phil Collins? No, Phil Collins is not dead. Um, so I get these people who come in and try and get me to, to do fake news. Last time it was okay. Rush Limbaugh had died. Uh, as far as I understand it, I just did a quick search. Phil Collins is not dead. In fact, nothing came in the air for him uh, tonight. So, Shame. Yeah, I know. Oh, 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 come on. Bold brother solidarity. Uh, except for uh, I Didn't Do It. It's a pretty good, pretty good song, uh, song catalog. All right. So here's, I guess, let's close off on this question. I really do appreciate your time. I know it's late where you are. But um, what do you think about what people are talking about now? And no, nobody can answer this for sure, right? At some point, we're just going to have to take the COVID bullet and hopefully have enough resources and masks and all of that. But it's a permanent part of the human landscape now. So here's a question from Thomas. This is coming through my Discord server. When can we safely lift the quarantine mandate for everyone and just have the vulnerable groups self-quarantine. Again, I know that's a ridiculous question, but I'm just... It's not a ridiculous question because it's on everyone's mind, but expecting one person to be able to answer that is ridiculous. But what are your thoughts on, on the subject? So I would just say that right now, the major target in the West is uh, New York. That's the one that's churning out uh, much of the data, as far as I can see. Um, it doesn't seem to have taken as hold as strongly in the uh, on the other coast to the United States. So I would say let's take that as our start, and we use what we know about the um, the, the patterns of behaviour associated with the disorder, and you say we we put a hard 
uh, hard quarantine down except for essential personnel. So that means people still have to maintain infrastructure, but any sort of uh, muck job or um, most, you know, most sort of office stuff can probably be put on hold for next month. And let's just see how it looks. Right. That's the, if I was in charge of everyone, I would just say right now, everything stops till we get a handle on these numbers, these figures. And um, if you want to go out and film hospitals and get data, great. Um, let's get that in the public domain. Same with the autopsy data. That's been few and far between. And I can give you the exact reason why is that the mortuary in uh, the hospital is one of the least sterile places and the administrators of the hospital would have made the decision that well we've given a diagnosis of covid we know it's respiratory pneumonia there's no need to do a autopsy and basically contaminate the uh the back end of the hospital that's that's the reason i would suggest that we don't have the autopsy data right now so 30 days from now more autopsy data and basically uh, get the people out right now that um that w were in place at, as this came out and made those decisions in the first place that put us here the mask injunction was just uh, a fatal error in my mind well and it's one of the few times you can use fatal error and not mean it allegorically it literally was a fatal error uh you know it's just just reminding me now that you're talking about data and so on that i've i've missed the britishism of not having a tea maybe i can email you a tea for the next one but you're like this uh this youtuber uh sniper wolf who uh button uh this deep cleavage based life form who uh makes a living off uh no no uh, uh, no glottal stops all right so uh listen i really really do appreciate your time i will put a link to your youtube channel and your research on ResearchGate. Um, do you mind if we end with a little bit of, of lightness? Because you know it's a bit, it's a bit of a dire subject. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is a, this actually did make me smile. And you know we need to get our our shites and giggles in where we can during this time of, of difficulty. And this was a um, we'll just we'll just end with this. Uh, laugh out loud. I was coughing and had massive diarrhea. Says a listener two weeks ago. Turns out it was just allergies. And my wife's attempt at making Mexican food. I really, really want to go back to restaurants. Well, I think we can all um, we can all appreciate that particular sentiment. So uh, thank you again, Dr. McCairn. Uh, a great pleasure to chat with you, and I appreciate the questions from the audience. Uh, please go and check out his work and his YouTube channel, which, again, I will link to below. And um, I'm naturally, of course, never going to find a graceful way to end these live streams because we're multi-streaming, which means that people get to watch me fidget and stare at the screen afterwards, or I get cut off ahead of time. One of the two, but there's never anything in between. Okay. All right. So thanks again. Appreciate it. And we'll talk again, I hope.